technical details. Do I still push that? You've pushed it. Okay, let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which you've given to strengthen us and to teach us. And we thank you uh, particularly for the Psalms, and we pray that today we will be nourished by them. Amen. I wonder if you've ever experienced worry or stress, ever. Maybe um, you've moved house. Maybe you've even come from interstate or overseas to join us here at Ridley. Maybe you've started a new course fairly recently here at Ridley, or maybe you've started a new placement somewhere uh, in a parish, or you've started a new job. Maybe you've got married. Maybe you've started a relationship, or maybe a relationship that you're in is not working out well. Maybe there's just issues of day-to-day coping that are on your mind. Maybe at work you've been passed over for promotion or eased out by perhaps some backroom activities. You yourself or someone you know might have been affected by bullying or domestic violence, by illness, by a death in your family or among your friends. There may be a moment of sin or shame which is eating you away, giving you trouble sleeping, giving you trouble coming out among human beings. Well, there may be things outside the refugee crisis, the Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse, not trying to be funny, the American elections, uh, which to some of us are you know, a great source of uh, pain. Different things in our own lives, in our community, in our world, that give us worry or stress. And God, in his mercy, has given us the Psalms as a resource for these troubled times. The famous quote from Calvin says that the Psalms are the mirror of the soul and in them we find every emotion. Um, We know from one of our own um, luminaries that everyone is standing on the shoulders of giants. And Calvin's standing on the shoulders of Athanasius, who said, back in his own time in the early church, exactly that thing about the mirror of the soul. And he says, he goes on to say, and Calvin's obviously read this, it's like verbatim in the preface to the Psalms. Whatever your particular need or trouble, you can select a form of words to fit it so that you don't merely hear them and pass them on, but you learn a way to remedy your ills. And so we're going to look today at Psalm 3 a remedy offered to us by the Bible, by God, through the Bible, for our ills of stress and worry. When we come to the Psalms, we come to the lovely front door, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1, if you meditate on the Torah, your roots will go down into the river and lovely fruit will come. Psalm 2, God says, I've set my king on Zion, my holy, ki- my holy hill, my holy mountain. Same word in Hebrew. So you've got this fantastic 
if you're righteous, God's in control. He's, he's the king of everything and then he's got the king. It's all really fantastic. And then at the end of the Psalter, with this incredible eschatological vision of the future, where just a really incredible expanding vision of people praising God and the beauty and the loveliness of God's kingdom expanding and expanding till the last words are, you know, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And even as we know from, you know, Romans, you know, the trees and the flowers are going to be singing as well and from Isaiah. So a wonderful vision front and back. But when we go through what we often talk about as the gateway to the Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, we find we're in the Hunger Games. Psalm 3, a Psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. So here's David, the guy who's been set on Zion, the holy hill. And then our next picture, we think, oh, we're going to see some, you know, wonderful moments of David's life. We see David fleeing from Absalom. We have the story um, that's behind it in 2 Samuel 15. Absalom's David's son. He's a grown-up guy. He's seeking to kill him. Uh, slightly later in the story, there's an assassination plot about David. He says, yeah, that'll be good. You know, wipe him out. David hears of it and he says, we have to flee because we don't go now. We've got no chance of getting away from this guy. This is his own son. And they set off. They go out the gate. They go up the Mount of Olives, go down the other side. They go along. They cross the Jordan, probably, you know, more or less where um, Joshua brought people into the land. And they go right up the top to Machanaim, which is where Jacob crossed the other way when he was working with Esau. The Ark of God is with David at this point and the priests. But David says, send the Ark back to Zion. God rules from Zion. That's the place for it. He says, if I find favour in God's eyes, he'll bring me back and I'll see it again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, if I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever, whatever seems good to him. And we sang that, didn't we, in that song? He gives and takes away. It was David's place in his heart. So the next bit says he went weeping and trusting, barefoot, up over the mountain to Machanaim. And I won't go through the whole Psalter, but you can go there, you can see there's a whole thread there. So suffering and trouble is the norm for David in the Psalter. And Psalm 3 takes us there. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. You've got that many, 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 exactly the same word three times, many, many, many. God will not deliver him. Now, this is not atheists saying there is no God. It's people who think there is a God and he's lost interest in David. God won't deliver you. God's got a new king in place. You're finished, mate. David takes the opportunity to express his concern to God. He doesn't just say, oh, praise God, it'll be fine. But he says, Lord, many, many, many. This is what they're saying about me. He pours out his trouble before the Lord. And that could go on. Some Psalms, it goes on and on for a long time, but it's just a short section here. Doesn't mean he only prayed three lines. It's all he put in the Psalm. He's in a hurry, probably, writing as he was, you know. Verse three. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. This word shield is a, is a lovely word in the Old Testament. Its first appearance is in Genesis 15, where God says, I am your shield. 
your very great reward to Abraham. Then Moses used it in Deuteronomy 33 to say God is the shield of Israel. And then David and other psalmists use it 16 times in the Psalms. It's a big Psalms word, God is a shield. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. David's reframing here. First he looks at his horrible situation and he spells it out. And then he says, ah, oh, that's not everything. You, Lord, are a shield around me. There's all these many, 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 but there's God who's my shield, the glory, the one who will lift my head high. And if you remember the story, he's going out bowed with his head uncovered and his bare feet and all this stuff, weeping up the Mount of Olives. He says, well, that's how I go out. But the Lord is the one who lifts my head high. Verse 4, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. He answers me from his holy mountain. He hasn't taken the ark as a magic charm so that God is kind of in his pocket. He said to God, let's leave the ark. You can save me from there. It's a little bit like, you know, when the guy asked Jesus, oh, you know, go home, it's fine. David's gone out with that kind of faith that God is in control and if he wants to save him from the holy mountain, he will. We also have that same word, um, from his holy mountain in Psalm 2. You know, God is up on the holy mountain saying, this is my king. And here he says, I know about that, that holy mountain. Verse 5, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. David just doesn't reframe. He takes on new habits. Doesn't stay up all night plotting. He lies down and he sleeps because the Lord sustains him. This word sustains is rather nice. Um, sometimes it means something that you lean on. So I, you know, this, this thing here is sustaining me right now. Um, there's invitations to let God sustain you and there's warnings not to trust in other things like it says, don't use this word sustain, don't let Egypt sustain you. They're a broken reed and they'll pierce your hands. So you think about like leaning on a staff and it actually you know, makes a mess of your trust. And then in Song of Songs, it talks about sustaining me with raisins or raisin cakes. Well, the old translation used to say flagons, which perhaps is a little bit more entertaining for some. So you think about God sustaining you with raisins, raisin cakes or flagons if um, you like to go for the old version. It's a reason for keeping for the King James, perhaps. <laughs> so when there's nothing you can do, God can be active in your life. I've been finding this verse really helpful to me uh, recently. Um, I've had a, a situation of shame and some other things that I've been um, working with that are very you know, like practical difficulties and I've just been using this verse, I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Um, it's just become a sort of a mantra for me. Verse 7, Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Now, this is um, fighting words, isn't it? And perhaps uncomfortable for us in the West. Um, arise, Lord. He's going right back to when he said, many are rising against me. It's the same word. So all these people are rising against me. And now he says, rise, Lord. They say God will not deliver him. In verse 2, he says, deliver me. And then he goes on again and says, from the Lord comes deliverance. Strike my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. We might sort of take a breath there. But if we think about that as stop the power, break the power. This is imagery here. He doesn't actually want God to sort of do dental work on his enemies. <laughs> he, he wants 
the power of the wicked to be broken. And if you think about sexual abuse of children, if you think about massacres and so on, we want that, we, don't we? we? We don't want anybody's teeth to be broken, but we do want God to stop oppressors. If God would just step in, stop every person who raped anyone, stop every child abuser, stop every massacreist, we'd be very grateful, wouldn't we? I think we can work out a way to pray that prayer. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is David the king. He hasn't just got somebody who's being a bit mean to him. He's God's anointed king. He's been driven out by a usurper and he's concerned for the well-being of his people. When we pray, we want to have the big picture, not only of God's greatness, but of his kingdom and the people who are inside it. And sometimes we think, well, I don't mind if people are mean to me, but maybe I need to care because the same people might be being mean to other people as well. And it might be something that I need to work out how to stand up for, for this particular area of, of difficulty in life. So we've seen David um, put it out there. How many, how many, how many? We've seen him reframe, but you are the Lord, the shield around me. We've seen him take up new habits to go to sleep and to rise up because God's sustaining him. He's getting inside a new narrative. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. We've seen him pray. What we don't see in the psalm, but we do see in 2 Samuel 15 is that he's acting as well. He's sending spies, he's sending the ark back, he's organising battle lines, he's actually doing stuff alongside his praying. And we perhaps need to do that too, to trust in God for the stuff we can't deal with, but to pray and to act appropriately. I want to just spend um, just a few minutes thinking about the life of James and Angelina Noble because I think the psalm that we're looking at and the ideas that we're looking at are, are very well expressed in their life. They, they were people who lived very faithfully amid extraordinary pressures. James Noble was the first indig Indigenous Anglican clergyman in Australia. He was made a deacon in 1925 after 30 years of lay ministry. He, um, in that time, planted several churches. Uh, he was a pioneer missionary, but um, sadly, due to um, reasons which I won't go into, um, Christians at that time thought he wasn't worthy to be ordained, basically, because he didn't fit the white profile of what an ordained person should look like. And so he served faithfully under uh, missionaries whose character's competence and Christ-likeness were way below uh, below his, he, he's an extraordinary man and he humbly served even though he was never allowed to, um, to lead a, a church or anything like that on his own. Um, first Anglican Aboriginal priests were in the 1970s, over 30 years after this guy. Um, so just uh, like to tell you a little bit about his life and his wife Angelina, who was also astounding. In 1896, James Noble was 20 years old. He'd been baptised and confirmed. And he lived in New South Wales, but he was asked by missionaries to go to found uh, a mission in Yarrabah in Queensland. Now, some of us have moved into state, but if you can think back to the early, um, to the late 19th century and think how that would be for someone on tribal land, <laughs> tribal family, all that stuff, 
to move. Like it, it's way more than the internet uh, today is, you know, required to manage. <coughs> so I'm sure that James prayed a prayer something like this. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. James experienced extraordinary personal tragedy. He was married when he was young in his 20s and they had a child the child died and then his wife died. And then he got engaged to someone else who was the matron at the hospital and she died just within a short few years. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. He found someone else whose name was Angelina she uh, was married to him for 40 years. They had a wonderful marriage, incredible ministry together. Angelina's story is that when she was a child, she was stolen by a, um, a white stockman, uh, dressed in boys' clothes called Tommy, and rode around with him for quite a few years until she was rescued as a teenager. It was a common practice at that time. You got an Aboriginal girl, dressed her as a boy. She rode with you in the day, you slept with her at night. That was her life. She was rescued and she um, was married to James. She was an incredible person. She um, could speak five Aboriginal languages. She did all kinds of ministry uh, along with him. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. The places that James and Angelina worked um, first they went, well, after they'd been to Yarrabah, they moved again to um, the Mitchell River, which is on the Gulf, and then again to the Northern Territory, to Roper River, and then again to Forest River in the Northern Territory. Moving, 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 new cultures, new places. And in each of those places, there were massacres. They were working with people who were being massacred in every place. The one I know the most about is Roper River. Um, we, we knew some people who were eyewitnesses who were children at the time of these massacres and um, the stockmen would just ride into the camp killing everybody they could see they threw babies into the fire and this was part of the ministry of James and Angelina to build a church in this setting in this community I lie down and sleep I wake again because the Lord sustains me When James was around 66, uh, he died. And Angelina was left a widow for 23 years after that incredible ministry and partnership. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. So maybe this psalm can be a resource for us when we think of ourselves and our issues or we think of others who are bullied, persecuted, used as slaves, frozen by anxiety. We can use the psalm as a resource to pray. We can use the psalm as a reminder that we can act. I wonder if you'd like, if you've got your Bible open, just to say with me uh, verse 5 together. So verse 5 of this psalm. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And as David finishes, may your blessings be on your people. Amen.